Well, if I can get everyone's attention again, if we could all uh, settle down now. Really glad to have all of you guys here and see all of you. Uh, a lot of new faces and returning faces. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Grace Toronto. Uh, my name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastoral interns here. And um, today's sermon will actually be the very last sermon in our sermon series that we started um, around six weeks ago, I believe, uh, called Because He Lives. And our passage for today comes from Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 to 8. And to read our scripture for today is Rachel, my wife. So if you come on up. Acts 1, 1 to 8. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles when he had, when he had chosen, whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. She's my better half. <laughs> okay. Star Wars. Do we have any Star Wars fans in here? Okay. Uh, quite a few more, okay, than the first service. If you've never watched Star Wars, it's okay. But if you have, good for you. Um, I enjoy Star Wars as well. And in Star Wars, there is a phrase uh, that is said quite often. Star Wars fans know what I'm going to talk about, but if you've never watched Star Wars, you might have heard of this phrase, may the force be with you. Okay, may the force be with you. And I went to StarWars.com to see what the force was defined as, just in case we have some diehard Star Wars fans here, and I don't want to, you know, uh, get stoned afterwards. So I looked it up on the website, and this is what it says. The force is the following. It is a mysterious source of energy that binds all of life together. It's something that gives this extraordinary power to be able to lift and move objects, um, but it also gives this kind of power to be able to play these kind of mind tricks on people or even be able to foresee what's going to happen in the future. The force in, in, in the whole series of all the episodes or movies of Star Wars that have been released, the force is what essentially dictates and determines how things are going to play out. It's almost as if it has a will of its own. But here's the thing. Throughout all the movies of Star Wars, you never see a face to what is known as the force. In our text today, 
we read about the Holy Spirit. And many times, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we may possibly think about the Holy Spirit as some kind of force that's there. But the Holy Spirit is not just a force. The Holy Spirit is not something that we can just activate it on our own will and say, okay, Holy Spirit, it's time for you to do something for me. Okay, good. And now you can uh, step aside again and let me live my life. The, the Holy Spirit does not work in that kind of way. But in fact, the Holy Spirit is the third person in the triune Godhead that we believe as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is same in substance and equal in power and glory with the Father and the Son as well. That means the Holy Spirit that we read about in our text today is God himself. With that in mind, when we look at verse 2 of our passage, we see Luke recording that after Jesus had given commands, and the phrase says, through the Holy Spirit. Now that phrase is really important because it shows us that the Holy Spirit was active, the Holy Spirit was moving, very involved in the life and ministry of Jesus. I mean, the way that Jesus was conceived in the first place was through the power of the Holy Spirit by a virgin whose name was Mary. During Jesus' baptism, Luke records that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. When Jesus is sent into the wilderness to be tested, it is the Holy Spirit who guides and leads Jesus to the wilderness, but it is also the Holy Spirit who empowers Jesus to, to be able to resist the temptations that the devil throws at him. And Luke writes, after being tested in the wilderness, Jesus returns in the power of the Holy Spirit. All that is to say that the Holy Spirit is what made Jesus' ministry effective. Hearts wouldn't have been changed. People wouldn't have been convicted of sin, as, as uh, Tark was mentioning during liturgy, unless it was through the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith wouldn't have been possible unless the Holy Spirit turned people's hearts to see Jesus for who he, who he is as Lord. The resurrection of Jesus wouldn't have been possible and wouldn't have happened were it not through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit that we read about. He is God who is at work in Jesus' ministry, for only God can change hearts. Only God can bring about faith, and only God has the power to bring life from the dead. So in our text, knowing that about the Holy Spirit, there are two things that we can see from it about the Holy Spirit. We can see that it talks about the promise of the Holy Spirit that is to come, and we also read about the power of the Holy Spirit. So we'll be looking at the promise of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Let's look at verse 4 together. Luke records, And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
which he said, you heard from me. Now this promise, the Holy Spirit, is a promise that is promised to all, all of Christ's followers. This is a promise that comes from the Father himself. Now when we think about that word promise, it's a pretty heavy word, to be honest. But I confess, I kind of throw it around a little bit lightly, uh, saying, okay, I promise to do this, I promise to do that. Many years ago, when I was working uh, with um, uh, kids from grades one to six, I was working at an after-school program. And working with them, one of my, uh, I guess, fallback safeties, (laughs) safety measures was to promise them treats if they behaved during Bible lesson time, if they behaved during uh, lessons and circle time. I would say, okay, if you you guys behave, if you listen to your uh, leaders, your teachers, then I promise you'll have treats afterwards at the end. Now, even with junior and senior high students at the previous church that I worked with, whenever we go on retreats, I would sometimes say, okay, I promise that you guys will have some extended gym hours on the very last night if you, you know, if you listen to your teachers, if you listen and, you know, you behave yourself when the guest speaker is preaching. Now, when I if I were to break these promises, not intentionally, but just I completely forget, you know, the busyness of uh, running programs or whatnot, I may forget what I had promised initially. These kids would be the first ones on my case saying, Stephen, you promised. <laughs> you promised us that we would get treats. You promised that we would get extended gym hours. You gave us your word. And if I didn't hold it, if I didn't hold that promise, they were on my case. I mean, they gave new meaning to that phrase, your word is your bond. With these kids, it felt like my word was my life. So I had to make sure I kept those promises. But the promise in our passage is still different. It's not a promise that is made by human beings, that is kept by human beings. No, this promise is a promise that is made by the Father himself. The God of all of creation makes this promise. It is a promise that's concerning his redemptive plan for all of God's covenant community. And it is a promise that was made from old, centuries and centuries ago. It was planned, it was intentional. We see this in the book of Joel chapter two, where God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And if we fast forward a little bit in our book of Acts to chapter two, we see that this promise is fulfilled in the day of Pentecost. Suddenly, Luke records, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. All of Christ's followers, they were waiting, they were praying, and they were waiting for this promise that Jesus had mentioned. And then Pentecost comes, and God sends the Holy Spirit. And it says all of them, were filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Pentecost was about. 
It was big. It was momentous. It was a major event. And it sparked the early church's explosion and its growth with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at that moment in redemptive history. This was when the Holy Spirit filled the believers who were gathered and the promise of God was fulfilled. This was the same Holy Spirit promised from of old who was active in Jesus' ministry and filled the people of God in this moment of Pentecost. It was a spectacular moment. It's never happened before in history and something like Pentecost has never happened since that day. But now, when you look at verse six, after Jesus has mentioned to his uh, disciples saying, okay, wait for the promise of the Father, they respond with what they say in verse six. So let's all turn our attention to verse six in our bulletins or in our Bibles in front of us. This is how they respond. They say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, they're asking, is this the time that you're going to get rid of Rome? Is this the time when our nation rises and we start to reign over all the others? Is this our time? Is this our moment? But when we look at that kind of question, that kind of statement, for many of us, we'll see that and we'll think, oh man, these disciples, they they still don't get it. You know, maybe if they didn't get it at the time before Jesus died and rose again, when they asked all these kinds of questions of, Jesus, will you, uh, will you restore our nation? Will you remember me and exalt me to your right and left hand? And you know, all these kind of questions that uh, the disciples asked before Jesus died and rose again, maybe it's, we can think, okay, they didn't know Jesus was here to die for their sins. He was here to usher in a different kind of kingdom. So it's a little understandable. But now... Where we are today, Jesus has died, Jesus has, ri- has been risen again, and Jesus has been with his disciples, not for one or two days, but for 40 days he was with them. He was with them, uh, fellowshipping with them, and teaching them about the kingdom of God. And yet, even after being with the resurrected Christ, they ask this question, and all they can think about is their own kingdom. But but the kingdom of God isn't an earthly kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. A spiritual kingdom that ushers in the poor and the marginalized. It's about the restoration, not just of the nation of Israel, but it's about the restoration of the true Israel, the covenant people of God, which included both the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what this kingdom of God was about. But the disciples, in asking that question, shows us that perhaps they might have still been fixated on their own understanding of their own kingdom. Whenever uh, around December or January comes around in the year, I tend to go on a vacation for a couple days. And the vacation I go on is camping. I like winter camping. Specifically, it's not winter camping where I go to a campsite with all the facilities nearby and uh, there's firewood that you can purchase, but I like to go winter camping with a friend 
where we go all the way up to Algonquin and we drive uh, really deep into the woods and then we also uh, trek about like a couple kilometers into uh, the thicket of the woods. And then this we do with like our big snow boots, ice fishing boots and our gear and we're, we're pulling a sled and we get to a site, we take out our shovels, we shovel all the snow around us and we set up camp and that becomes my vacation. Quite a number of people would ask me, why would you do that to yourself? Why do you want to suffer? Why would you do, why, how do you call that a vacation? But for me, there's something cool about just setting up your own site, your own shelter, and knowing that you survived. You did it. There's a, there's a fun and adrenaline to that. But I, 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 I diverge. Back to the point. Two of the most important things to do is to set up a fire, uh, collect all the wood, and process the wood so you have fuel for uh, the day, and also to set up your shelter. Now, when we, set, when we set up a shelter, we only bring a big tarp. We have a big tarp over us, and we have to make sure that we tie that tarp with lines to all the different ends of the trees. The tighter we tie those lines, the firmer that tarp is going to be, so that when we sleep underneath it in the evening, even if the snow may come, that tarp will hold up and it won't collapse on us. Maybe for some of us, the kingdoms in our hearts today may behave in a similar way. Let me explain what I mean. We may have different values. These lines that are tied to the different trees around us that hold up that tarp, that hold up our kingdom. But what begins to happen when snow starts to, starts to accumulate or perhaps a storm hits? Perhaps these lines may begin to loosen. These lines that are defined by money, our financial security, perhaps relationships start to go. Perhaps family starts to fail. Perhaps health starts to fail on us. One by one, these lines loosen and the tarp gets a little bit more loose. But we think, it's okay, it's gonna hold up. But another line fails, another line loosens. And before we know it, do we find our kingdom quickly crumbling away due to circumstances? The question that we all are to ask ourselves today is what is our kingdom made of? Can we really say that we're that different from the disciples? Do we ever find ourselves constantly retightening those lines to make sure that our kingdom doesn't collapse? To this, Jesus shifts the focus of the disciples he doesn't directly answer their question, but in verse 8, eventually, he shifts their focus and he talks about their mission in the kingdom of God. Verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You see, the kingdom of God and the mission that's with that is different. Jesus hasn't come to rid us of our earthly problems, but Jesus has come with the mission to eliminate sin from the human heart and to save the hurt and the broken. 
And now his command to all of its citizens in this kingdom of God is to be witnesses of this gospel message of hope and of life to the world. Because that is a kingdom that is worth living for. That is a kingdom that is worth fighting for. A kingdom where we see our neighbors, we see our loved ones being saved. And in this mission, it is the Holy Spirit, as verse 8 shows us, who gives us the power to be such witnesses. Not a conquering, domineering kind of power to usher in an earthly kingdom, but a power to usher in the poor, the broken, the marginalized into the heavenly kingdom of God as we witness about the life and the work and the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a power to proclaim his beautiful name. But perhaps some of us sitting here, or many of us, don't really feel comfortable witnessing. It's not our forte. We're not really good at that. We're not really good with our words. We're not really confident people. Uh, We're scared of being rejected. We're scared of people looking at us in a funny way saying, oh, you're one of those kind of people. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. Or perhaps we think, why why not let the bold and the extroverts, the outgoing, let them do that kind of work. I'll, I'll, I'll be in the background. I'll pray for them. Let me pray for them and support them that way. That is how I will witness. I'll just be in the background and let the other people do uh, what they're good at. So the question we ask is, why do we need to witness? Well, firstly, if there is no other reason, it is because Jesus commands us to witness. Our Lord and our Savior, our King, commands us to be witnesses in this world. But secondly, we witness Because our King, our Lord, our Savior, because Jesus lives. This gospel is the most important life-changing message that can be shared for all people. In fact, Jesus himself took up this role as a witness of God's love through his own life, death, and resurrection. He did all of that to show us that there is a God who is holy, a God who is just, yet there is a God who loves you. Even though you have turned your, even though you've turned your back on him in rebellion and sin, and for that we deserve death and condemnation, God sends his one and only son to die in our place of punishment and sin. Jesus takes on that punishment that we deserve, the condemnation that we deserve, when he is beaten, bruised, and killed on that cross for you. But that's not the end of the story because three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead to conquer the power of sin and the power of death once and for all. Because he lives, all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't matter how far you feel you are from being loved by God. It doesn't matter all the things that you may have done in your life that says, hey, you are not good enough to stand before God. You are not worthy enough to stand before God. All of those things do not matter because Jesus lives. When you look to Jesus, 
And when you believe that he died for your sins and he rose again, scripture tells us you will be welcomed into the loving arms of your heavenly father. You are loved in Christ. And this is a kind of kingdom that does not crumble over any kind of circumstances. Health fails, money fails, family relationships fail, people turn your back on you, yet Jesus loves you. And that is a kind of kingdom that will never crumble, that will never collapse in this world. That is a kind of kingdom that Jesus calls us to witness to those around us. God loves you in Christ, and that is unchanging, and that is eternal. And that is the message we've been entrusted to witness to this world. And how can we not share that kind of message of life, of hope, especially when our Lord and Savior offered up his life for us? Perhaps for those who are seeking today, who are exploring the faith, maybe the next time you hear this message about Jesus, consider, could there possibly be a kingdom that's bigger, that's more secure than what this world has to offer, than the kingdom that I'm trying to hold up for my own? And for those who do follow Jesus, I want to let you know that we're not left alone to share this message. The burden, the burden isn't on us for the gospel message to change lives. The moment we tell someone about Jesus, we don't have to have that pressure where we see transformation happen in that moment. That is not our job. It was never our job to begin with, to change hearts. That is something that God does. All we are tasked to do is to be faithful witnesses and share about who Jesus is and let the Holy Spirit do the rest of the work. And we also have the Holy Spirit who is our helper, who gives us the power to be able to speak boldly, to be able to speak wisely. He gives us the right words to say. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts and transforms hearts when the gospel is shared. Changing hearts is not our job. That is God's job. Our job is to be faithful witnesses of Jesus Christ. Now, when we witness, people will make fun of us. People will reject us. We will face alienation. We'll face people looking at us in funny ways, saying, oh, you're one of those kind of people. We may lose relationships among our friends, maybe among our family members. We may grow distant with some. But this is why we need the help, the power of the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit to empower us with the ability, with the courage, with the boldness to share the gospel in a winsome way. And how can we start? We see that it starts in Jerusalem and then goes to Judea and to Samaria and then to the end of the earth. But perhaps, perhaps don't worry about where you need to go. Don't worry about your end of the earth, where that looks like. 
Focus on where God has put you in your life today. Ask yourself, okay, where is my starting point? Where is my Jerusalem that God has placed me in? Are they the immediate friends and family members? Is it the neighborhood that I'm living in? Is it the workplace that I'm in? Is it the recreational league that I'm part of? The hobbies that I share with other people? The clubs that I attend? Who are the people that God has placed in your life today? Witnessing means we verbally share about who Jesus is. But witnessing also means to live out your life, live out the faith like you mean it through your actions, words, and deeds. Love others in a Christ-like way where you put their needs before your own. And pray. Pray for the Holy Spirit to open up opportunities. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hurt, the broken, the lost around you. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you boldness, courage, for wisdom in your words. Pray for the Holy Spirit to soften the hearts of those around you as they hear the message of Jesus. Pray for the Holy Spirit to give you that power to be witnesses for Christ. And so, as we conclude, once again I remind you, as the text reminds us, we are not just sent out and thrown into deep end. We are not alone in this. The Father has sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper. The promised Holy Spirit is with us who gives us the power to witness to the world the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let us pray. God, we confess to you at this time that we get scared when it comes to witnessing about Jesus Christ. It's daunting. It's a big task. We may, we may not even know where to start. But for those who feel that way, we pray, O oh God, we pray, O oh Holy Spirit, to empower us, strengthen us, give us the courage, the boldness, the wisdom, give us the opportunities to be able to witness the beautiful name of Jesus Christ in a winsome way so that hearts may be changed, so that lives may be turned to you as people turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. And for those who do not know you yet, Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts and help us to see who Jesus is. Help us to be able to see and realize through Christ the infinite, the eternal, the unchanging love of God. So for all these things, we ask for your help. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think now we have some time for a Q&A, so I'd like to invite Tart to come on up and, uh, yeah, I guess field some questions for us. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, we have a couple of questions here with I think are getting at the same thing. Uh, what is the meaning of baptism with the Holy Spirit? Uh, how does it compare to water baptism? Is this something additional? Uh, could you speak a little into that? That's a great question. And I am so glad I talked to Howard earlier in this week <laughs> about what that could uh, perhaps mean. 
And I encourage you to send me an email um, if it doesn't answer your question, but what helped, um, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, Howard, but uh, what helped to understand uh, baptism was he explained about a cloth being dipped into uh, dye. When you dip a cloth into dye, it uh, comes under the influence of that dye, and when, you, when, it, when the cloth is, uh, I guess, taken out from that submersion, um, the cloth is dyed. Meaning, coming, ba- being baptized by the Holy Spirit uh, versus being baptized by water, the baptism by the Spirit, uh, in a general sense, shows us that this is uh, the influence that we get through the Holy Spirit versus just uh, the baptism that we receive from water. The influence of the Holy Spirit, the power that we receive through the Holy Spirit that leads us, uh, that uh, when when the Holy Spirit fills us, that shows us that with that filling of the Holy Spirit leads to uh, acts and works that are done through the Holy Spirit. Uh, An example quickly, in uh, Luke chapter one, we see see, uh, Zechariah when he is uh, filled with the Holy Spirit after his son, John the Baptist, is born. He breaks out into uh, a song, and he breaks out into a a mini kind of prophecy. And so that's just a little example of what that means uh, when we are baptized by the Holy Spirit. Thanks. Uh, There's another one here that says, uh, is there any other world religion that commands their people to tell others about their God? If no, then why does Jesus command this of us? And if his spirit is so powerful, then why can't Jesus, through his spirit, save the souls of people without us having to say anything? Another great question. Um, <laughs> it was a long one. Let me see if I can answer all the points of the question. Other religions, yes. Um, we, I mean, other religions share about their faith, and so I don't think Christianity is the only one where people go out to share about um, their faith to others. Now, when it comes to Sorry, the power of the Holy Spirit? Why does Jesus command us uh, to go and tell people about him? And if his spirit is so powerful, uh, why can't his spirit do that without us having to say anything? Yeah, okay. Um, the cool thing, the very unique and interesting thing about God is the way that he chooses to include us in his redemptive plan for, uh, for this world. And in that process, we are, even though he doesn't need us, yet he chooses to include human beings, followers of Christ, to partake in this mission, to, uh, to, to share about who Jesus is to the rest of the world. And if the Holy Spirit is so powerful, why are we needed? Because the Holy Spirit is if I reverse, or if I kind of flip that question a little bit, because the Holy Spirit is so powerful, he uses people like us, uh, human beings, in order to carry out his will. So that is what we see in Scripture, actually throughout the whole book of Acts. So I would encourage you to check out Acts and see how the Holy Spirit leads uh, these early members of the church as they just go out, as they're sent out, and as they uh, share about the gospel message to just all sorts of communities and people. What do you think, one more, Stephen? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, what confirmation or sign do we have that we've been filled or baptized by the Holy Spirit? What sign or confirmation do we have? 
that we're... How do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so I think I'll approach it in two ways, or, or two points. First is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that is uh, the moment that when, when, when Scripture tells us that we are, we are in Jesus and Jesus is in us, this union with Jesus is made possible through union with the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit is with us the moment that we accept Jesus. Now, why do we pray, Lord, would you fill us with the Spirit if the Spirit is already in you? The filling of the Spirit, as mentioned earlier in the first question, shows us, would you, O Holy Spirit, now lead me? Would you, would you guide me? Would you empower me? Or would you empower us to be able to go in a direction that is uh, the same as what you have in your will for me? So when we say fill us, what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Perhaps the terminology of filled uh, could be nuanced in such a way that being filled with the Holy Spirit, or when we ask for the Holy Spirit to fill us, is we're asking the Holy Spirit to guide us, lead us, in a way that is in accordance with God's will. So I hope that answers your questions. Um, if there are other questions, please email me at stephen at and I'd love to interact with you. Okay. Thanks.